0: Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Hamilton's mayor calls it a career. We're being told to put our masks back on. Elon Musk using the B word for Twitter. The National Toy Hall of Fame grows by three. The front man of the Elton John Tribute Show joins us. And we'll get you ready for the World Cup. The GMH Podcast starts now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast on 900
2: CHML.
0: Pleased to be joined in studio, no less, by outgoing Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. How are you this morning?
2: I am uh, wonderful. I mean, every day, is, uh, every day is a good day, and uh, Hamilton is in a great place, and I'm very uh, proud and pleased where, uh, where I'm leaving Hamilton, and we'll see what the next council does.
0: I think everyone listening right now wants to know, Mr. Mayor, at least for the day, Mm -hmm. is the Netherlands going to win the World Cup this
2: year or what? Oh, God, I wish. Don't I wish? Are they even in it? Yes, they're in it. Oh, oh good, good, <laughs> good to know. Uh, uh, you know what? I, I, I. All of my Italian friends, uh, we've we've had ongoing rivalry going on. When yes. you know, sadly, I don't think Italy's in no, it. No, but so. they do have bragging rights. They're uh, why?
0: Well, they have four stars on their jersey, uh-huh. and the Netherlands well, has none.
2: T- true, true. Uh, so, but however, yes. they're not in it, and we are. <laughs> this is true, and therefore we get some bragging rights. And uh, you know what? I can't. Uh, Having been born in Amsterdam, uh, you know you can't knock kind of the uh, your origins out of out of yourself. Nor do I want to. Mm-hmm. I'm very proud of that uh, that history, and uh, uh, you know look forward to uh, you know watching the game. So uh, let's let's see what the Netherlands does.
0: Should be fun. Yeah. Um, you grew up in Hamilton, even though you were born in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, you went to school here. You're, you've been the mayor, third longest serving mayor in the city of Hamilton, tied with mm-hmm. Lloyd Jackson. Mm-hmm. What is your legacy? What, what do you want your legacy to be?
2: Well, more, more than anything, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've given everything to, to this city in terms of the 12 years I was mayor and, and previous to that uh, as a councillor. And, you know, and I think we see a, a different Hamilton today than you would have seen 20 years ago. And that's not just me. It's a, a whole collection of people. Hamilton is in a particularly good spot right now, not without its challenges, but, but uh, you know, in a really good spot, something that we would have aspired to 20 years ago. All is happening, downtown redevelopment, uh, waterfront development. Uh, new businesses and industries coming to our city. I mean, we are in a renaissance, and it's uh, it's very successful, and it's uh, a testament to the hard work of a lot of people, uh, you know, including myself, but, but many, many, many others that put their shoulder to the wheel to make it happen. So I'm very proud of where we are. AAA credit rating uh, just announced uh, a little while ago which is not just a number or a collection of letters. It really is a, a statement around, are, are, is Hamilton sustainable? Is it making key strategic investments? Uh, is it uh, managing a good debt load? And is it offering up good value for taxpayers? And that's a, that's a pretty high standard for uh, for Hamilton to have, and uh, I'm very pleased with that.
0: Would LRT be amongst the highest levels of achievement in terms of legacy projects?
2: Sure. Uh, LRT, the waterfront development, uh, you know has been uh, 25 years in the making and uh you know is really really progressing very nicely and lrt and 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 transportation as a whole so lrt is one element of the transportation piece there's the other 500 million uh, traditional transit uh, investment that's uh, ongoing which is a, a new storage facility and expansion in traditional bus transit all of that combined certainly i would say that's the biggest Legacy. It's the biggest uh, employment opportunity that the city's going to have in the next four to five years. And uh, it is going to be a great asset for our city uh, for future transportation needs. So uh, it, is a, it is a very, it's right up the top there.
0: I'm sure many listeners listening right now, we only got about a minute for this, mm-hmm. are saying, well, when's this thing going to be built?
2: Well, I mean, it's ongoing. So uh, properties are being acquired as we speak. Uh, underground service work is uh, still being assessed. It's had a break, so they're they're getting back, ramping back up to to uh, full staffing to uh, make sure that they got the staff to, to m- make this move. Uh, after that, twenty twenty three, uh, a lot of the underground work will be happening. Moving of, of uh, you know underground services, uh, uh, doing the uh, the oversizing of the. Uh, the the sewer pipe uh, along there which allows for more development and then uh, on surface we will probably see shovels in the ground on the ground uh, in, above the ground uh, in 2024 so uh, it is moving along uh, you know expeditiously uh, you know these projects take time mm-hmm. uh, they're big they're monumental investments uh, you know 3.5 billion and upwards Uh, It's going to be a spectacular investment for our city and great employment opportunities. So, you know, we can, the the timing for this is actually perfect for Hamilton because coming out of COVID with all of the challenges that we're facing, you know, employment opportunities are are really where it's at. and, uh, And this will be a big one for our city.
0: What does the outgoing mayor have in terms of advice for the incoming mayor? We'll find that out next year on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. From nine hundred CHML.
0: Joining us in studio is Fred Eisenberger, Hamilton's third longest-serving mayor, and is waving goodbye as of today. Uh, today's the last day.
2: Today's the last day t- officially. Uh, it's uh, you know it's been a few weeks of uh, you know sorting out stuff and gathering up things, and my garage has got a lot of stuff in it right now. <laughs> Join the club. That I'll have to yeah. That I'll have to. Well, yeah, car's never actually been in the yes. garage, so now there's lots of lots of more stuff in there. But all great, uh, great memories, and, and just it's been an honor and privilege to have served this community, and to see the community in all of its aspects uh, is a you know something that very few people get to do, and uh, for me, it's just been a pleasure. What's
0: your advice to incoming Mayor Andrew Horvath and the rest of council?
2: Uh, you know, keep, keep an eye on the big picture. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, yes, we are all elected in certain areas, but uh, we have to have a kind of collective uh, long-term view of where the city is going. And, you know, I, I did appreciate Andrea's uh, slogan on her campaign, which is, a, you know, a new mayor for a thriving city. Th- the city is thriving, uh, and there's lots, uh, lots of good bones to build on here. And so, uh, you know, folks need to continue to build. Uh, don't, don't be too parochial. Make sure that the big picture is looked after. And yes, you have constituents and you want to make sure you look after those constituents, but there are big overriding issues that uh, you collectively have to wrap your heads around and uh, make sure that you do it with an eye to, uh, to doing what's in the best interest of the city as a whole.
0: It hasn't always been smooth sailing. We've had sewer gates, Red Hill Valley Parkway reports. When you look back at those two issues, what comes to mind?
2: Uh, look, I mean, uh, you know, every, every council is going to have its challenges. Uh, you know, we're, we're not for trying to do things. Uh, you know, you're, you're going to bump into things that uh, are going to be, uh, you know, complex and difficult. Uh, didn't cause them, but uh, there, those are files you have to deal with, and I think we have dealt with them. Uh, some might argue uh, not in the best way. I would say, uh, you know, I thought I thought we were pretty reasonable and fair. And when it came to uh, the Chido Creek issue, we, we actually announced the uh the leak and we uh, identified it and put up signs at the very moment that we found out about it uh one could argue about the volume uh that's another issue uh but we got some good advice at the time to uh, to not divulge it and let the investigation actually discover that so i, I would say uh, i'm pretty comfortable with the decisions we've made uh, uh we've uh, we've actually on the on the main many many more positives uh there's always going to be negatives and this council will have them too
0: Our first uh, in-studio guest in a long, long time is outgoing Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Housing, affordable housing, a massive issue in this community and many communities in the province and across the country. The urban boundary debate is what it is. Do we have the right plan in place going forward, do you think?
2: Well, I thought the urban boundary uh, restriction was was the right thing to do. I, I think uh, in, given the LRT investment, which is all about uh, generating more investment on existing infrastructure, uh, that's what you want to inspire. So uh, this actually runs counter to that, and I think that's going to be a big challenge for this council to deal with. But they have some tools to be able to deal with that. Uh, housing, uh, we know we, we spend uh, in, you know, from 2019 to 2022, some $600 million has been spent on housing, actually more on housing than we've spent on roads. And some folks will, will say, yeah, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but the reality is that more 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 has been spent on housing than any other file in our community, in fact whether it's housing supports or actually building affordable housing or or rent supports or shelters. Uh, And we've uh, taken the lion's share of that cost. So some of that is funding from federal and provincial governments, but uh, the city of Hamilton actually puts in about 65% of that funding. So local taxpayers have been putting in about $150 million a year on housing and housing and rent support. So there's no, no lack of attention there. Uh, the challenges that we see uh, in the community are, are challenges of mental health and addiction and health issues. Uh, those folks certainly and absolutely need help and, and services. Some of them don't want them. Uh, and, uh, you know, we continue to work with them every day to try and get them into a better better housing arrangement rather than living on the street. So that's, uh, that's an ongoing process that isn't going to stop. I, I would love to think that homelessness can be eradicated, uh, but that's never happened in our history, and I'm not sure it's going to happen in the future.
0: Big announcement coming at 9 this morning from uh, Chief Medical Officer of Health Dr. Kieran Moore will announce not a mask mandate, but a return or, or recommendation that masks should be worn in some indoor settings. What's the city's view? What would you like to see happen?
2: Well, I, 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 I urge people to mask as well. Uh, you know, And, and more importantly, uh, I urge people to uh, get their flu shot, which I had last week. And get your uh, get your vac- vaccination updated. That is the the most important thing that people need to do. Uh, We have a very very slow uptake on the uh, the current bivalent uh, vaccine or the fourth dose. In fact, and uh, you know that's a critical issue. I mean, if we want to stay in a kind of an open state and not you know spend all of our time worrying about whether we're overtopping the healthcare system, which is happening as we speak, uh, that's all relative to you know folks that uh, you know may not have been vaccinated or or, you know not necessarily protecting themselves as well as they should, and therefore we're uh, we're going to continue to have those kinds of challenges. So. I I urge, I beg people to get your get your vaccinations updated. And when you're in crowded settings, uh, it's it's a good idea to wear a mask just to protect yourself.
0: Got a couple more minutes with outgoing mayor of the city of Hamilton, Fred Eisenberger here on GMH on 900 CHML.
2: Are you going to miss it? Oh, absolutely. I'm going to miss the people. Uh, you know, I've, I've been able to work with some very, very great, passionate, compassionate uh, individuals, uh, not only on the senior leadership team, but throughout the, uh, throughout the administration, as well as members of council. And, yeah, I'm going to miss those people for sure. I'm going to try and stay connected in one way or another. But, uh, you know, the work's been glorious. I'm very proud of where we are. And, uh, you know, it's not, you know, like like anyone else that's stepping away from, you know, a career, whether it uh, be in broadcasting or anything else after 25 or 30 years, uh, there's lots to miss. Uh, but there also comes a point where you, you make a decision as to what, to what does the rest of your life look like? And uh, do you have the, you know, the stamina to give it 150% as I've yeah. done over the, the last 12 years? And I, in my assessment was, uh, you know, I might might have been able to do that for a short time. But, uh, you know, I think it's now time for other people to step up. And that's in, indeed what's happened. And I'm very pleased with uh, the choice for mayor. Uh, I, I was supportive of Andrea. I think she's the, the right kind of talent and experience and knowledge that uh, will hold us in good stead, and we'll see what this council does.
0: We shall see. Really appreciate you coming in today and appreciate your 31 years in public office. You've had a, an illustrious career, some some ups, some downs, as any politician would, but uh, we appreciate your time, as always, here on CHML.
2: Thanks for uh, thanks for having me, Rick. It's a great pleasure to wind it up here at CHML.
0: You got it. That is uh, Mayor Fred Eisenberger.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Kieran Moore, is going to hold a news conference at 9 o'clock this morning where he is expected to recognize. that Ontarians wear masks in certain indoor settings. You can listen to that news conference live right here on CHML beginning at nine. We also heard on this topic from the premier over the weekend. Wear a mask every time possible, number one. Number two, get a vaccination shot and if you haven't already received yours and get a flu shot sources say today's announcement will stop short of imposing a mask mandate is that the way to go well dr mustafa hirji is the acting medical officer of health with niagara region and joins us now on good morning hamilton dr hirji welcome back to the show how are you this morning good morning rick i'm doing okay what do you expect to hear from dr moore this morning
3: uh, I'm basically expecting what everybody else is from what we've heard in the news, which is the province is going to move away from their position they've had over the last six or seven months of masking is a choice, do it if it feels right for you, to actually recommending that people should go back to wear masks. So I'm very you know, supportive of that. I think we are seeing uh, you know, hospitals really impacted by especially children who are getting sick with respiratory illness We're seeing flu season has started here, and now is the time to make sure we're all wearing masks to protect ourselves. I am a little disappointed that it might only be recommending an some settings, as opposed to all indoor settings, and I'm also a little disappointed that it's maybe not the stronger action of actually requiring masking in some settings.
0: So it will be yes, as you mentioned, some indoor settings. Um, I, I would imagine hospitals, healthcare uh, facilities, and and if anything else, do you do you anticipate more uh, facilities or buildings um, being included on that list?
3: Yeah, you know, I haven't gotten any kind of inside information, so I don't know for sure. Um, What we saw in the spring is that the province kept masking in place for transit as well. So I would think that transit would be part of that. My hope is that it ends up being actually all indoor settings, but we'll have to wait and see what comes out. Do you
0: believe now
3: is the right time for a mask mandate to be reintroduced? I kind of think that actually the better time would have been probably a month ago when the province for, you know, and actually Kieran Moore first came out and started to talk about the importance of wearing masks. But, you know, better late than never.
0: Dr. Mustafa Hirji is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Dr. Hirji is the Acting Medical Officer of Health with Niagara Region. We're talking about masking up once again in certain indoor settings. We have, as we know, COVID-19 still a thing. RSV has uh, jumped into the forefront. Flu season has arrived and arrived early, according to some healthcare care professionals. What, what do you make of the triple threat that we're seeing right now?
3: Yeah, you know, what is actually, I think, the real new part is COVID-19. We've always had the other respiratory viruses. We've always had influenza. Last couple of years, we're doing so much to stop the spread of viruses that we actually didn't have to deal with them as much. So I think this year we're seeing everything again, plus we're seeing COVID-19 on top of that. And so I think that is going to make it really challenging. And I think what we're critically seeing is that this is the first time Uh, that our hospitals are really being stretched at the uh, children's level, the pediatric hospitals. And we're seeing, you know, the really, I think, tragic news that, you know, they've run out of, you know, um, acute ICU beds in some hospitals. And I think that's something that we really want to try and avoid. We don't want to see children getting sick and having to be hospitalized, especially after they've gone to two years where they've had their education and learning so disrupted. And so, you know, I think wearing masks is really key to make sure we slow the spread of infection the way we've done over the last couple of years to really stop these. But the other things I think the Premier talked about in the clip we heard earlier are really important too. Making sure everybody gets that COVID-19 shot. If you're 12 and up, you can get a fall booster. Doesn't matter how many class doses you have, go back out, get another booster dose. For 5 to 11, if you've gotten two doses, you can get a booster dose after six months and children there are uh, 6 months and up are actually able to get two doses as well and then of course get that flu shot and if anybody is sick at home make sure that they stay home and not are are spreading an infection to others
0: there's also a shortage of children's tylenol right now how what what factor is that playing in seeing more kids at hospital
3: uh, it certainly could mean that some uh, parents aren't able to lessen their children's symptoms so their children are actually uh, feeling much worse than they normally would with, um, you know, respiratory infection. And that could be partly why parents are going to the emergency department to take their children in. But, you know, we've also seen that ICU beds for children have actually run out and That's going to be more than just a parent taking in their child because they're worried of how sick they are. And I think the fact that we're seeing all of those children's medications low is probably you know maybe in part some of the supply chain challenges that our society has been dealing with but probably also a reflection that lots and lots of children have been getting sick maybe not necessarily with RSV, which is causing the hospitalizations right now but maybe also with influenza with covid19 and other things and there's just been a huge need for those medications because so many children are getting sick and i think masking vaccines those are two things that can help lessen the amount of illness that children are experiencing. We've
0: got about 30 seconds with Dr. Hirji. What's the situation like in Niagara? Does it mirror what's happening across the province?
3: Uh, it absolutely does in terms of the trends of what we're seeing with infections. We don't have a children's hospital here, so of course we're not seeing the kind of trends that we're seeing in children's hospitals. Our adult hospitals are definitely still seeing COVID-19 right now at a moderately high level. It is definitely not an intense level at this point, but we are still in the fall. We still have the whole winter to come, and we know from past years that that's when COVID-19 was worse. We went into lockdowns in December the last two years. And so I do think things are going to potentially get worse. So now's the time to wear masks, get those flu shots and those COVID booster shots if we haven't got them to make sure that we're as protected as possible and make sure if we are sick, we stay home, we don't spread that around and we do our part to keep everyone healthy.
0: Dr. Hirji, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you for your time this morning.
3: You're very welcome.
0: That's Dr. Mustafa Hirji, acting medical officer of health with Niagara region uh, with a preview of today's um, uh, uh, announcement from uh, Dr. Kieran Moore, the chief medical officer of health, who uh, you will hear his news conference live at nine this morning and uh, is expected to announce uh, not a mask mandate, but a recommendation to wear masks in certain indoor settings. We'll bring you that news conference live
1: at nine. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900.
0: well, it has certainly been an interesting couple of weeks since Elon Musk officially bought Twitter for $44 billion. Uh, from mass layoffs to resignations among key leadership personnel to uh, the now controversial blue check mark, the Twitterverse has quickly become. Hot garbage. And now Elon Musk is contemplating the B word. Ted Kritzonis is a tech journalist and a podcaster. Ted Nologic is the name of his podcast. You can check it out wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Ted, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. What are your thoughts as you watch the tire fire that is now Twitter?
4: I don't know. Uh, it's to me what's surprising, I think more recently is the whole Twitter blue fiasco so the idea basically that you pay the eight dollars a month and then that you get your verification i don't know how it wasn't foreseen that there would be people who would pay the eight dollars either to be bots or to impersonate somebody else and make it seem like their legit account i'm not sure how the powers that be whether it's elon musk or whoever it is that ultimately i mean he ultimately okayed it, but I don't know how they didn't foresee that that would be a major problem, because they're already backpedaling from that now and saying that, okay, well, maybe we need to put this on pause or we've got to figure it out. So uh, I have a a feeling that more mistakes like that are coming, where it's putting the cart before the horse, but we'll have to see how this plays out.
0: Regarding the blue check mark in a Twitter Spaces Q&A last week, Musk said that no one is going to pay $8 a month and risk losing their account by impersonating someone or engaging in hate speech. Yet, we've already seen a flood of fake accounts with those you know, $8 supposed verified check marks. What has happened to the moderation and the enforcement policy? It seems to be non-existent.
4: Well, that could happen if you let go of half the workforce. So if you come in with a kitchen sink, literally, and then get rid of a lot of people, you're getting rid of also some of the mechanisms, some of that that infrastructure that was in place to deal with that. Twitter was already was already struggling with that to begin with. It's not like it, it wasn't a problem before. It was. I mean, bots were already an issue, and then you had okay, imper- you know, accounts where people were being impersonated. There were a lot of parody accounts, but the impersonated accounts, for the most part, I mean, I think they got a handle on that. There may have been cases that that snuck through, but it wasn't like this because for you to get a blue check mark to impersonate an account was far more difficult before than it is now whereas now you could i guess just pay the eight dollars get the check mark and then just change your name and i guess in an ironic way a lot of people who are doing that were putting were just changing the name to elon musk we all know kathy griffin uh, mm-hmm. actually got removed for that so i i think yeah I, I think they got rid of staff without really i think doing due diligence as to okay who who if we're going to cut staff who are we cutting uh, and uh, that's why we had a case where, also, not a like, hey, I mean, we, just, we had Musk himself saying, "Hey, uh, look, some people got let go by mistake. Let's let them back in. You know, let's let's bring them back." So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. A lot of a lot of impulsive moves here uh, that I think uh, are, are hurting the company.
0: Very much so. Uh, our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900CHML, Ted Kritsonis, tech journalist and podcaster. He has the podcast called Tednologic. Check it out in your favorite podcast platform. Uh, as if advertisers haven't already gotten the jitters with what Musk has done with Twitter, he's now throwing out the bankruptcy word. What do you make of this?
4: Well, Twitter's main source of revenue was advertising. So you probably don't want to mess with that if you're taking over the company. And unfortunately, that's exactly what's happened. Is that aver- we already had a slowdown even before he acquired the company. Uh, you can see that in their earnings uh, reports from uh, prior, prior quarters. Now there are none for for Q three, but uh, for Q one and two, you can see that things were kind of slowing down. So already the the, the piggy bank, if you will, uh, was starting to uh, starting to weaken a little bit for the company. And then you get the, you know he he buys it and with everything that was going on and and just the uncertainty and some of the, the craziness that we've been seeing, obviously, you know, advertisers are going to get a little jittery. Uh, We, I think, it doesn't take any someone in, in ads, you know, who works in advertising to recognize that a platform that might have an increase, I don't know. And I mean, hate speech or stuff that might be not ad friendly, Uh, come up they might have jitters and be and be careful about whether or not they want to keep supporting the platform or keep um, putting ads out there so if you take away that revenue stream or at least if you chop it down significantly i don't even know how musk pays off the interest on the loans that he had to take just to buy this company Uh, that's the thing i don't know and that's why he's looking at subscription models as a way to shore up revenue and to increase it to a different level but i'm not sure how that is going to do that if there's no confidence in the platform to begin with
0: how close to the edge of irreparable harm
4: has musk
0: taken twitter
4: that remains to be seen yeah that remains to be seen uh the man is he's intelligent there's no there's no question about that and he's clearly shown that he can he can run a business can he run this kind of business is is i think the bigger question this isn't Tesla. It's not SpaceX. This is a very different animal. And the, uh, the eyes of the world are watching in a different way because a lot of the world engages on Twitter as opposed to those other two companies where we're watching things that are developed and the innovation that goes on there. With Twitter, people are actually involved. So if they pull out, if, if people pull out in droves and don't want to be part of it anymore, that, that actually hurts the company more than anything else you're you're not you're, mis- you're losing potential subscribers advertisers are going to notice that and probably pull out cash so i think it's early days but i think it remains to be seen just how far this thing slides and if it's possible for him to pull it back up i wouldn't count him out just yet but it's not looking good
0: yeah if a lot of people move out i guess you have truth social 2.0
4: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. And advertisers don't like that either. Yeah. So so that's definitely not the answer. And um, hopefully he he hires or, or keeps the right people to try and figure this out because it's uh, this was kind of predictable, I think, just the way he was talking before, but not to this level. Uh, I would have thought he'd wait to, before uh, issuing some kind of a subscription model. You know, just take your time, do your d- due diligence, figure out how what will work try it out first, as opposed to rolling it out piecemeal, and see and go from there. But that's not what happened.
0: Well, we're all grabbing our popcorn with a little extra butter, maybe some salt on top. Ted, uh, thanks for your time today. I appreciate your insight into this.
1: Always a pleasure, Rick. Thanks for having me.
4: That's Ted
0: Crinsonis, technology journalist, host of the Technologic
1: Podcast. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Christmas can't come soon enough for many of the little ones who will be Hoping to get that special something under the tree, aka a toy. Well, speaking of which, National Toy Hall of Fame has three new inductees amongst its plethora of amazing and iconic toys over the years. So let's chat about the newest honorees for the National Toy Hall of Fame. Chris Bench is the chief curator at the National Toy Hall of Fame at the Strong National Museum of Play and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Chris, good morning. Great to be with you. We have three new inductees this year. Let's start with maybe the oldest of the three, and that is the Spinning Top that is right. That's the toy that most people
5: have sort of given me a dope slap when they learned it wasn't already in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> so it's high time that the top gets in. Yeah, what, what took so long? I think it didn't have an advocacy group the way some fan bases for manufactured branded toys do. So, And it's just sort of been around for thousands of years, so it may not be top of mind for lots of folks. Yeah, thousands of years. Where did the the spinning top originate? You know, it shows up in archaeological digs all over, it shows up on Greek and Roman pottery with people playing it in ancient times. It shows up in the Americas with native indigenous people playing with their versions of tops. It is so universal.
0: Absolutely. Um second on the list. I'm not sure this is in any chron- chronological order, but Lightbright has also made the cut. Tell us about why Lightbright is a toy Hall of Famer. You know, Lightbright came out in the middle of the
5: 1960s, about the same time as the Easy Bake Oven. And it was powered by a light bulb, the same way as the Easy Bake was at that point. It allowed you to play with light. Those pegs that went through a black background let you create images, let you use, Templates that the toy provided and have image of your favorite superhero, for example. And it is popular today. It is basically pixels. So there is lots of evidence on YouTube
0: of people doing stop motion animation with their light brights. I'd imagine there's no light brights at least being produced today, but I would assume that many of them still exist amongst uh, kids who have been passed down from generation to generation. You know, it is still on the market. There is a Stranger Things Light Bright
5: because it is one of the key props in that Netflix series. So check that out. Light Bright is better than ever. And now it's battery operated. So you don't need to have a
0: cord plugged into the wall. (laughs) That's uh, that's progress. Chris Bench is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Chris is the chief curator at the National Toy Hall of Fame at the Strong National Museum of Play. Third and certainly not least, he-Man and the Masters of the Universe, one of my all-time favorites. Good. I'm glad that clicks with you. It clicks with loads of folks because ever since the early
5: 1980s, the Masters of the Universe constellation of characters has been in our minds and in our playrooms. And now it's back in a new streaming series. So it's more pertinent than ever before with People like He Man, who has the power, as well as Skeletor, who's your favorite villain to root against.
0: One of the great things about He Man, and it was probably my most favorite toy from my childhood, uh, was not only did you have a great cast of characters, and you mentioned obviously the, the two most important ones, but they had you know amazing weapons, uh, armor, uh, uh, you know various different things that you can you know interchange them with, and of course Castle Grayskull, which is everyone's favorite. <laughs> It is. And Castle Grayskull is so big that we couldn't shoehorn it into the case that we use to recognize (laughs) He-Man's induction into the National Toy Hall of Fame. Uh, There were a few finalists that did not make the grade, including things like Bingo, uh, Nerf. Uh, Those are two iconic ones as well. Is it only just a matter of time before they get in? I think it will be, and in fact, all your
5: listeners can go to museumofplay.org, the Strong Museum's website, and start nominating now for next November. It is never too early to get your votes in for what you think should be in the Hall of Fame. Last year, we had nominations for more than 325 different toys, wow. and you can. this is better than voting. You can do it every day of the year up until next November.
0: What's it like being the chief curator of a Toy Hall of Fame? It
5: is one of the best jobs in the world. That's one of the reasons I've been in this position for 33 years. And I've got world's biggest toy box, not only the 80 toys that are in the National Toy Hall of Fame, But we have a museum that's the size of a city block. We have 500,000 items in our collection. We have so much that is fun for kids and grownups to do. And we're putting 90,000 square foot
0: expansion on that opens next June. Wow, that's tremendous. The, uh, The Strong Museum, by the way, for anyone listening, is in Rochester, New York. Do you, Chris, have a favorite among all the Hall of Fame inductees? You know, I was a toy car kid growing up, so I
5: am so pleased that both Hot Wheels and Matchbox got into the Hall of Fame, and they're my favorite wheeled vehicles. Did you prefer Matchbox
0: over Hot Wheels or vice versa?
5: I... I am a little older, so I had Matchbox first, but Hot Wheels was so much faster than any of my Matchbox toys.
0: It really blew those previous toys out of the water. (laughs) And it came down to the wheels, did it not? I mean, the the Hot Wheels wheels themselves were conducive to speed. It, It is, and they have special axles made of piano wire that was
5: lubricated, so it turned like crazy, and let them be so
0: speedy that they could do those great loop-de-loops. Yeah, they did those in style. Chris, really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us, and uh, good luck going forward at the Strong National Museum of Play. Thanks so much. This year's National Toy Hall of Fame inductees, He-Man and Masters of the Universe, Lightbright, and the Spinning Top. And uh, some of the finalists that were bypassed this year, I mentioned Bingo, and I mentioned uh, Nerf, too. (sighs) iconic toys right like who doesn't play or who hasn't played bingo or have picked up some kind of nerf uh, gun or ball or whatever the case is and toss it around Uh, other things including the pinata which just missed the cut for 2022 i wouldn't consider pinata a toy but i guess it is i mean you you whack it with a stick good stuff comes out of it what's not to like the pinata missing the cut in 2022
1: you're listening to the good morning hamilton podcast from 900 chml
0: elton ron is north america's premier elton john tribute show and it is going to play toronto's meridian hall on november the 26th we're giving away tickets all week long lo and behold joining us now is elton ron himself elton ron or ron camilleri is your most commonly known how are you today I'm doing great. How are you doing? And hello, Hamilton. I'm fantastic. How did you get into this line of work? It kind of started as a
6: bit of a fluke. Um, I had been uh, just working in general. I was in the music industry many years, and I was writing music for television when my brother called me, who, when we were kids, he was a drummer. I was a guitarist. And he just said, let's get some friends together and go play in a bar just to have some fun. We didn't care if there was anybody there. I went there, and... um, I'm a guitarist, but halfway through the show, I sat down at a piano and I played Rocket Man, And the place went a little bit crazy. So we go back to playing some regular songs and someone shouted out, some nice lady shouts out, please do another Elton John song. And I did. And they went crazy. And it was my brother came up with the idea, well, let's do a whole show of Elton John sometime. So when I did that, um, we, we got hired back again. The owner loved us. We played the entire set and we got invited to play a festival. So I had to quickly go out and figure out sequin costumes, sequin piano, put it all together. We played this uh, festival, and it just it took off. And I've been playing ever since. We're in about our eleventh year, I think. And uh, it just so it kind of happened as a fluke. I just people know that when they see me, they know I look like Elton John. I I sound like Elton John. I play piano like Elton John. So. That part of it was easy. It was putting the band together, learning all the songs. But now that we're there, uh, I've got a bunch of really competent musicians. We can really play the songs well. And it does. It sounds like Elton John from the 70s. It's crazy.
0: What is it like being Elton Ron?
6: Well, every time you walk out on stage, there's this instant instant reaction you get. And I think half of it is because I'm dressed sequins head to toe. Uh, And they say, oh, my God, he looks like him. But but honestly, when I sit at the piano and I sing these songs and I look into the audience and everybody is singing along, you just realize how popular this guy is around the world. It doesn't matter where we go. Everybody knows all the lyrics. It's it's He's obviously one of the biggest artists of all time, but now I get to see it in a, in a little way. If I'm playing in front of 10,000 people and I start Benny and the Jets and I see the reaction from the audience, I get a little taste of what it must be like to be him
0: it's pretty special feeling, have you ever met Sir Elton John?
6: We were invited to play the uh, Elton John Convention in Las Vegas, and um uh we met the entire band except Elton because he doesn 't go to those things. but we did meet Davy Johnson, Nigel Olson, and all the rest of the guys in the band and uh, they were so nice to us, and we didn't know this, but they were well aware of us in fact, Davy Johnson complimented us. he said that uh we do the Elton John 70s uh, sound better than anyone in the world. So that was really nice of him to say. Now I have come with a couple of feet of Elton before at events, but I've never really been able to be introduced and- and say things. So no, I haven't quite met him yet, but I know he knows I'm around.
0: <laughs> Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Elton Ron, Ron Camilleri, who is the frontman of North America's premier Elton John tribute show. It's going to be playing Toronto's Meridian Hall on November 26th. You can get tickets pretty much everywhere from eltonron.com to Ticketmaster. It sounds like it's going to be a fantastic show. Uh, what is your favorite Elton John song to sing and which one is the most difficult to perform?
6: Um, well, I would say it, it might change from venue to venue. If you're playing a small venue of say 300 people or 400 people, that's going to be a different concert field than when you're playing say 15,000 people. So, um, and the songs can change night to night. Basically as, as an artist, when you get into what they call the pocket, that's where the, the sound on stage is spectacular. The band's playing great. There's many songs that'll pop up. That'll be our favorite song. Um, I love playing Don't Let the Sun Go Down on me because of the reaction it gets from people. And I've had many people come up to me after the show saying, Oh my God, you you played that song. Thank you so much. You know, they would have lost someone in the last year or two. But that's a really nice song. I think my favorite song and the most difficult song could be the same song. It could be Goodbye Overgrown itself. It's a very difficult song to sing because we do it in the original key. And Elton can get way up there back in the 70s. Were, there's some really high notes to say. It's, I'd say I probably got about 10 favorites on any given night. And we just keep adding songs to the show. Uh, the other thing is my favorite song will change when we play with the orchestra. And we are. We're playing with a 10-piece orchestra. So there'll be 16 players on stage. So when we get to play a nice, pretty ballad with those beautiful strings behind me, it's, it's just there could, there could be some really magical moments for me. And a song like Sorry Seems to be the Hardest Word is so pretty with the orchestra that um, it, 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 that
0: alone may make my night. And our listeners can listen to it. Toronto's Meridian Hall, November 26th. To get more information online, Elton Ron, that's R-O-H-N dot com. Ticketmaster. Uh, Ron, thanks for the time. Good luck with the show. All right. Thanks very much. Hope to see everyone at the show. That is Elton Ron slash Ron Camilleri. November 26th is the day. Elton Ron at Meridian Hall in Toronto.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Well, the countdown is officially on. If it hasn't been on already, it is as the World Cup gets set to kick off this coming Sunday. And there are numerous humongous storylines both on and off the pitch as we head to Qatar. Adam Zadroik is a soccer editor with Rotowire and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Adam, good morning. How are you?
7: Rick, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, let's start with Canada. It's making its first World Cup appearance since 1986. There's a lot of excitement. Of course, with that comes a lot of pressure. They're in Group F with Belgium, Morocco, Croatia. They open the tournament November 23rd against Belgium. Your thoughts, your impressions of Canada and their chances in Qatar.
7: I like Canada overall as a team. They got into one of the more difficult groups, which it kind of makes things a little tricky here. But, you know, they got Belgium, Croatia, Morocco, three solid sides. Um, I think it'll be difficult, you know, to advance into the knockout stages of the World Cup. But, you know, if they can get, you know, points off of a Belgium or a Croatia, I think that would be even if they don't beat those teams that would probably be considered a success given their you know their absence from the world cup these last however long it's been
0: Canada announcing their 22-man roster for the World Cup yesterday, and they are off to Qatar trying to score their first goal, let alone win their first game on the World Cup stage. Two of the biggest footballers on the planet over the last couple of decades, Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo from Argentina and Portugal, respectively. This sounds like it's going to be their last go-round.
7: Yeah, both of them, they're, they're both getting up there. It's They're edging towards 40 And I'd say, you know, Messi probably has a better chance to to win, finally win a World Cup. Uh, But, you know, both are trying to trying to get that World Cup title. But, uh, I mean, there's been reports lately about Ronaldo and his going ons at Manchester United. So he's definitely on his last legs. Messi probably maybe has a little more left in the tank. But, you know, once every four years for a World Cup, it's hard to see either of them playing four years from now.
0: Adam Zedroik is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. He's a soccer editor at RotoWire. The group of death, there's been much debate on whether or not there's actually a group of death in Qatar. What are your thoughts? Which group would you insert into that slot?
7: You could technically argue Canada's group. As I mentioned, you know, all four of those teams are pretty good, but... Most of the people are talking about Spain and Germany in Group E because you know Spain and Germany, two of the top teams in the world, arguably two of the top five teams in the world, playing in the same group. Uh, you know, Costa Rica and Japan are also there, maybe not on the same level, but uh, it'll be it'll be interesting. It'll be fun to see how that one plays out because you know, winning the group comes with a lot some advantages then as opposed to second in the group so that'll be uh, a fun thing to check out for group b
0: i think you can make an argument for group b with england's wales usa and iran although england's certainly the star of that show and maybe even group c with messi's argentina along with poland mexico and then saudi arabia which doesn't stand much of a chance in getting out that group um i think The fact of the matter is there isn't an overwhelming group of death Mm. choice, which is probably going to make this tournament pretty exciting. Uh, I want to talk about France. They're the defending champs. They won the 2018 tournament in Russia, but they're coming into this tournament injury-riddled.
7: A lot of injuries. A lot of... They haven't even been playing that well either entering this tournament. You know, all these teams are... club, Club action ended yesterday, actually, on Sunday. So, you know, a lot of these players are are coming just from that. But in addition to it, last matches for France, they haven't been playing as well. There's been rumors about them getting rid of their coach. We'll see what happens after this tournament. Uh, they disappointed at Euros in 2020. And then, as you said, injuries. A lot of injuries. Guys like Paul Pogba is not gonna be there. Uh, Rafael Varane, a defender for Manchester United. he's He hasn't been playing the last few weeks. And Golo Kante. One of their best midfielders hasn't really played at all this season because of injuries. So a lot of their top guys that you know won the previous World Cup four years ago for them won't be there, or they will not be a hundred percent fit.
0: In saying that, if you go to rotorwire.com and the World Cup winner odds for 2022, France is listed, I think, as the second favorite behind Brazil. Argentina, England, Spain, Germany also in the mix. Do you have a favorite, either betting-wise or just out of a pure fandom uh, scenario, and who you think might be lifting the trophy at the end of the tournament?
7: I think everyone is going to say Brazil, so I'm not going to take that route. You could also take Messi's Argentina. Those are probably the two routes that a lot of people are taking. I will go with uh, Denmark here. So Denmark, they're in France's group, and as I said about France, even though they have the second-best odds to win the World Cup, I don't exactly believe that, and Denmark have shown well in international tournaments, so they're kind of – they're an underdog pick for me, is is what I'll say. I think they can get to the. They have the squad to get to the top four. They have the squad to win Group D over France. Um, so you know, more of a long shot, I guess you could say. But I do like their team.
0: Well, that is a bold prediction. It'd be fun, <laughs> fun if it were to be true. That is for sure. Adam, we'll have to leave it there. Enjoy the tournament. We'll touch base down the road. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Rick. That's Adam Adroik, soccer editor at RotoWire. You can get more odds on their website,
1: rotowire.com. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com.
0: The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review.